Thanks for listening to our Market Street podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more information, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. We've been talking about, so, and that's been sort of the word that we've been looking at over the last number of, well, beginning of the year, really, in the last number of months. And, and the idea of sow is to really just sow the seed of the word of God into our hearts so that it begins to produce something that God can only produce. And so things like love and joy and peace and patience. And we're going to pause on that just for a few weeks. And we're going to talk about what I call the heartbeat the heartbeat of the church or really the heart of God. And that's really what we want to be. We want to be people that know the heart of God, understand the heart of God, and live out the heart of God. And so what breaks God's heart should break our hearts. What God celebrates and what brings joy to God's heart should bring joy to our hearts. So I just want to take the next you know, four weeks and just talk about that. I want to introduce a, a story, not really introduce a story, a story that you've probably heard before, but use a story to show these, these examples of what the Father's heart or what God's heart really is. And so A.W. Tozer, famous author, communicator, he said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So when we think about God, what comes to our mind when we think about God is, is so important to us and it's so important to our life. If we have a, a misunderstanding or a flawed view of God, then we're going to have a misunderstanding about life and we're going to have really a flawed view of, of life. And our life is going to be flawed in that way if we don't understand who God is to us. Lots of people have different points of view when it comes to God. I want us to look at today an accurate picture of who God is. But I want to also, before we, we do that, I want to share with you what some think about God or what they think when they think about God. Some think that God is like this impersonal, cosmic kind of God. This impersonal, cosmic force. They think of God as this great white light that spoke into creation and everything that we see exists and then he's become indifferent to our needs. He's become indifferent to our circumstances and he's just become very impersonal when it comes to understanding the, the, the plight that we deal with in our life. And so this is a point of view that some people have when it comes to their thought life or their what they think about when they think about God. That he's just sort of this impersonal, cosmic, great light. He's in another realm, he's different than us, he's out of, you know, out of touch with us. Others think about God in this way, that he's a scorekeeper God. He's a scorekeeper God. He keeps tracks of when we make it, and he keeps track of when we miss it. Like, he keeps tracks of the makes and the misses. He's watching all of it, and he's, when we get it right, he's, like, cheering us on. But when we don't get it right, he's, like, angry at us, right? And so we just, we, our view of, of God is, in, is that way. He's just always keeping score. He, we're, so we're always feeling like we're on edge. Am I getting it right, or am I get, not getting it right? Am I missing, or am I making? And he's a scorekeeper kind of God. This is a, a mindset that people have. Others think about God in this way, that he's a cantankerous, old get off my lawn God I just like cantankerous I like using that word cantankerous he's a get off my lawn God like he's like the view of God is he's always angry 
He's always annoyed. He's just, he's, he's regretting creating us. He doesn't want us here. Like he's like, these people are just problems, you know. All, all they are is problems and complain. And, and he's just this angry, just get out of here, get out of existence. He's just always, always upset. This is a, a view that people have about God. Another view that people have about God, he's like Siri, Alexa, God. <laughs> Siri, can you tell me how to, or Alexa, can you show me this, or, you know, Google, my, my kids have this Google device, and, and they're, they, somehow it was the girls, and now it's the boys. I'm not really sure how this, this transaction necessarily happened, but now my boys have it, and they figured out ways to use it better. And so I hear, always hear, like, Google, uh, tell me a funny joke, or Google, I'm not exactly sure some of the questions that they're asking, but I remember thinking, those are weird questions to ask. But we, we treat God like that. We're like, only when we need them, right? Only when, Siri, when, oh, I'm, I'm lost. Siri, help me find, Alexa, I need this information or I need to understand. Are you with me? Like we, only when we need God we, is when we call on God. It's like God's like our butler or I've used the metaphor, God's like our vending machine. When, when we hit the buttons, when we want something, you know, then that thing falls down Then half the time it gets stuck there and you're like, come on, you know. This is our view of God, and when we have a faulty view of God, whether it's an impersonal cosmic God, he's in just in another realm, or whether he's a scorekeeper God, or whether he's just like a Siri, Alexa kind of God, or he's an angry God, these are faulty views of God. These are faulty views, and I think all of us sort of kind of overlap in all of these different views of God in our life at certain times and certain seasons of our life that we see God in this way. And if we see God and we think about God in these ways, then we're going to have a faulty life because we're not going to truly understand who God is. I think somebody who really understood who God was and the character of God was Jesus. Would you agree? Would you agree watching online? Would you agree? Yeah, you would. You're, I can see you at home shaking your head. Jesus would understand. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew writer, we don't know who the Hebrew writer was, but we know that he said this about Jesus. It says that in Hebrews 1.3, he says, And he is the radiance of his glory. Talking about Jesus. Jesus is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. In other words, the Hebrew writer wanted us to understand that what you see and what you heard of in Jesus is what you get from God because Jesus is God in a bod. You've heard me say that before. And, and when you know what you want to need to know about God and the ways of God, you'll get that from, from Jesus because according to the Hebrew writer, he's the exact representation of his nature. What he did, what he said, who he was, that's what we need to understand about God. And Jesus would commonly give a definition of God in a way that was understandable to people, people that had a view that God was just a impersonal God, that they 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 believed that God was just impersonal, they believed that God was always angry, they believed that God was just always keeping score, and that they they did believe at times that they could ask God or help God understand something about God that when they needed it the most, but this was their view of God and Jesus came along and said, this is what God looks like. This is a picture of God more than anything else. And what Jesus would describe God to be is that he would describe him to be a father. 
And this was a radical idea of who God was, especially when Jesus was walking this earth. To see God as Father was radical. As a matter of fact, his disciples asked Jesus, hey, um, we've been praying our whole life. It's what we've been growing up doing, praying uh, because they were good religious Jewish men. And they, were, they knew, they prayed. It wasn't like they didn't ever pray before. They, they prayed, but they would see Jesus was praying differently. And of all the questions they could ask Jesus, of all the things, like, how do you do that miracle? Or how did you walk on water? Or how did you feed all of those people? That's, they, they didn't even ask him how he did that. But they would ask Jesus one question. And the question that they asked Jesus was, Teach us how to pray. Imagine that. Think about that. Like all the things they could have asked Jesus to teach them how to do. They said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus said, yeah, sure. Let me give you a model prayer. Let me give you a template of what your prayer should look like. You don't need to repeat this prayer. But this is just a template for you of how to pray and how to approach God in prayer. And here's how he started his prayer. You all know this. Our Father. What? Right off the bat, the disciples are going, wait a minute. You mean he's not impersonal? You mean he's not angry, even though sometimes my father gets angry? He's not, he's not like indifferent to our need? No, no. And Jesus says, no, no. I want you to, to come to God as if you're coming to a father. Jesus described it this way. Jesus says this in Luke 11. He says, he says, I want you to think about it in these terms. Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? And at that point, everybody listening is going, <laughs> good one, Jesus. They, they, he, Jesus is trying to be funny. Like We, we read the scriptures as like, like Jesus is like this, this monotone, boring teacher. And Jesus is like very personal. He's, he has a personality. He's, he's engaging. He, people like enjoy listening to him. And so Jesus would say these things like, hey, you know, it's like, like you fathers, you know, like if your son asks you for a fish, you're not going to give him a snake instead. And they would go, oh, that's silly. And maybe Jesus didn't get the laugh like he wanted to, so he uses another one. Maybe you'll laugh at this one. Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? Maybe it fell flat for Jesus, too. Of course not, right? Of course not. Like, I'll on occasion go to Tim Hortons. Did you know that about me? I, I'll, I'll go to Tim Hortons on occasion. And my kids will ask me, hey, can you get me a donut? Or can you bring me a bagel? Or can I get an Oreo iced cappuccino? And you know what I'll do? I'll do that. I don't go to Tim Hortons and I'll say, you know what? Do you, have, you guys have, like, broccoli or carrots or... Because my kids are asking for things that are not healthy for them. And no, no, I, I want to give my kids a 20-pack of Timbits and a, and a bagel with cream cheese that thick. Why do they put so much cream cheese on there? Anybody? Like this thick. Nobody needs that much cream cheese. But my kids, they just eat it up. They just love it. And what do I want to do? I'm a father who wants to do things for my kids. I don't bring them back, you know, carrots and broccoli. I I give them what they ask. This is all that Jesus is saying. But look what Jesus' point is. This is Jesus' point. 
Look what he says. If you then, being evil. Now, I know these are strong words. In other words, here's what he's saying. If you then are like imperfect. If you then don't always get it right with your kids. If you then don't always act the way that you should act as a parent or as a father. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Look what he says. How much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus' point is this. If you as a imperfect father or grandfather or grandmother or mother or whatever your role is as an adult, if you as an imperfect person are willing to give good things to your kids or your grandkids, how much more would a perfect heavenly father, how much more would a perfect heavenly father want to give, and to do for you. This is the view that Jesus wanted them to understand. He wanted them to understand a father's heart. That God, when you think about God, that you think about God as a perfect father. Maybe you think about your father and you think he's not perfect. And Jesus would say, yeah, he's not. And I would say, yeah, I'm not. But I don't want you to think about God like you think about me or think about your father or your grandfather. I want you to think about God as the perfect rep representative, the perfect father, the perfect. Your, your father may have not been perfect and your father may have made a lot of mistakes. And maybe you think about your father as, as angry or, or, you know, uh, get off my lawn kind of father or indifferent than us and in another world than us and impersonal. Maybe you think about your father in that way, but God, Jesus is saying, I don't want you to think about God in that way because that's not who God is. And he wanted, he wanted everybody to hear and understand about the heart of a father. And so Jesus teaches another and gives another story about what this looks like. And he gives a story that you're probably very, very familiar with. But I have found in this story are a few things that is the heart of a father. Here's how the story begins. Jesus is talking. Jesus is giving the story. He said, a man had two sons. Verse 12. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Now, pause. This is an incredible, tremendous insult to his father. Jesus is telling the story, and his listeners, his audience is going, oh my goodness, that is an, an, an terrible insult to do to your father, to say to your father. He, he was like, he was saying to his father, I wish you were dead. I don't want you to be here anymore, and I want to take what is, what is my inheritance. I want to take it for me so I can do what I, what I want to do. This is, this is what the audience is understanding about what the, the story that Jesus is telling. It'd be like me calling up my dad and saying, Dad, um, I want you to sell the house, and you and Mom are just going to live in your trailer until you die because I want the money from the house. 
Now, that's kind of rude, don't you think? Yeah. Now, that, that's, this is what the son is saying to his father. I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance so I can go about my life. Now, you know, in, don't look in your Bibles. Don't look, don't look. You know what this story is entitled, don't you? Who knows the, who knows, the header of the story? What, 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 what is it? What is it? The what? The prodigal son, right? The prodigal son. That's what's entitled. That's the, that's the header of the story. Even though Jesus said, you know, there was a man that had two sons, you know, so we're, we'll try to get to the, the second son at the end. But he said, Jesus says there's a man that had two sons. Now, the pr- word prodigal means this. Why is it called the prodigal son? It's because it means wasteful, reckless, extravagant. That's what, the, that's what the, it means. It means wasteful, reckless, extravagant. That the, that the son, the younger son, is wanting to you know, waste his life, be reckless in his life, and live extravagantly. That's why it's referred to as the prodigal son. But that's not really the point of the story. That's not the point of the story. Even though on our headers it says the prodigal son and we think that it's about the son. Guess what? It's not about the son. It's not even about two sons. It's about the father. That's what it's about. When Jesus is telling the story, and I think if Jesus had a say in what the headers were in the scriptures, Jesus wouldn't have said, call it the prodigal son. Jesus would say, I said that there was two sons. I didn't say there was one son. I said there was two sons. And by the way, it's not about the one son. It's not about the other son. It's about the father. It's about the father. The heart of the father is all about the father. Now, The story of your life and the story of my life and the story of your life is about the Father, your heavenly Father. The reason why we're on planet Earth is not because of our story and not for our story. It's for His glory. That's the reason. That's the reason why we exist. That's the reason why he woke us up this morning. That's the reason why we're on this planet. That's the reason why we have air to breathe. The ability to move and the ability to love is because, not for our story's sake, by the way, we're not, we're not the, the, the lead role in the story. I hate to break it to you, but you're not the starring role in your story. If you are, you know what your life is? Wasteful. If you think you are, you know what your life is? Meaningless. That's not what life is about. The story of your life should never be and never should be about you because every story, every life in Jesus' story was all about the Father. All about the Father. Let me give you a couple verses. Matthew, Jesus said this. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. It sounds like it's about us, right? Let your light shine so that people can see your good works, so that people can think you're a swell person. You're amazing. You're awesome. Wow, look how bright you are. You are just the star of this show. And, and Jesus was like, no, 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 no. It's not about you shining your light in such a way that people can see you. It's so that the Father, so that the Father can be glorified. That's why. The reason why we shine our light and the reason why we show our, our good works 
It's not so that you can get the credit and not so that you can get the pat on the back. Not for you people to think, wow, you're incredible. No, it's so that people can say, wow, God in you is amazing. Wow, God working through you is, is unbelievable. Wow, God has changed you from the inside out. That's, in, that's unbelievable. And you're saying, yes, it's all about him. It's all so that the Father can get glorified. Let me give you another verse that you're probably familiar with. Psalm 23. Anybody ever heard of it? Psalm 23? You at home, have you ever heard of it? Psalm 23? Okay. We'll pick it up in verse 3. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness. For whose sake? His name's sake. Your sake? No. Your sake? No. My sake? No. It's his name's sake. The reason why he restores your soul and the reason why he guides you in path of life towards righteousness is for his name's sake. The story that we call the story of the prodigal son is really not about the prodigal son. It's about the heart of the father. Jesus continues the story. Verse 13. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. This will always happen. This will always happen. And, and here's the heart. The father's heart is this. The father's heart. In his will is a filled life. Out of his will is an empty life. We stay in his will, filled life. Out of his will, distant country living, loose living, empty, unsatisfying life. Purposeless, pointless, wasteful life. You see it? The, the boy said, give me my estate. Give me my inheritance. He did. He went out. Distant, distant country. Here's some distant country kind of mindset. Okay, here's some distant country kind of mindset, loose living kind of a mindset. We think that more money or more material possessions will make us happier. That's distant country mindset. That's loose living mindset. If I just get more money in my bank account, if I have more possessions in my garage or in my home, then that's going to satisfy my soul. It won't. It will only leave you empty. A distant uh, country mindset is um, if I just climb up the corporate ladder, ladder of my industry, if I become the boss, the, the CEO, the, the guy in charge, then that's what's going to bring me the fulfillment of my soul. That's distant country, loose living mindset. The mindset is, my kid, life revolves around my kids. My kids' activities, my kids' schedules, and everything revolves around them. And when I make it all around them and my kids, then that's what's going to make me happier. I'm just going to live through them, and that's what's going to bring fulfillment in my life. That's distant country mentality. 
Well, if my spouse doesn't make me happy or if I just have my, my spouse is there and they're there to complete me and fulfill me and, and as long as he's being all that he needs to be and when he's not, it's his fault or it's her fault and, and if, if they're not being what they're supposed to be, then I'm never going to be fulfilled. That's distant country, loose living mentality. I've said this before. You've heard me say this before. Whenever we make our kids our gods, they make for terrible idols. Whenever we make our spouse our gods, they make for terrible idols. Whenever we make our possessions or our money our gods, they make for terrible idols. They just do. They're never going to fulfill. They're never going to satisfy. The only thing that fulfills, the only thing that satisfies is being in the will of of the Father, being making Him your God, making Jesus the thing that you worship and value and give your affections to the most. That's being in the will. And when you're in the will, you're going to have a filled life. When you're out of His will, you're going to have an empty life. And sure enough, when that happens, when that happened to him, it says in verse 14, when he had spent everything, because that's ultimately what happens, right? You're going to, eventually the party's going to end, the, 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 the fun is going to run out, and the, the bill is going to be due. And he says, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. Now, here's the, here's the, the, the teaching example of this. Isn't life hard enough? Why would we add to the challenges of life by making bad decisions. Isn't, isn't life an, alone have its enough challenges to navigate through and to work through? The unpredictability of life, the uncertainties of life, the, 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 the depravity of life, isn't that enough for us to be able to navigate through? But then when we add things to our lives that are only going to bring about more hurt and pain to our life, isn't that worth saying and taking pause and this is what happened to him he piled on what was already happening that was out of his control he took matters into his own hands thinking thinking that his life was about him and what he gained and therefore as a result of that spent everything found himself impoverished found himself bankrupt found himself empty and meanwhile life had its challenges already. Do you, do you see that? Do you find that to be true in the room? Okay. Life alone has its own issues. Let's not add to that. Let's not add to that. Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, to feed pigs. So now this guy's like, I don't have any money. I'm out of money. I need to work. And he finds a job feeding pigs. Does that, I don't know if that sounds like a fun job to you, but I don't think so. It's not what a job that I would want to have. So then it says, verse 16, and he would have gladly, this is how hungry he is, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. Now, there are some things, lessons, a couple lessons that he had to learn the hard way that I don't want us to have to learn, okay? Learning the hard way. Number one, we are heading for trouble with loose living while true blessings are had right at home. 
We are heading for trouble with, if we decide to go into the distant country route, the loose living route, we're heading for trouble if we don't realize that true blessings are just right at home. He had to learn that the hard way. Another lesson that he had to learn the hard way. We must fulfill our responsibilities or eventually we'll be forced to. Did you see that? You know why he probably wanted his inheritance and why he wanted out of his father's home? Because his father was probably putting him to work. His father was probably starting to ask him to do things around the house. His father was probably telling him, listen, you need to go out work in the field or you, you need to go and take care of the, the, you know, the, the livestock or whatever the, the responsibility was that he wasn't willing to do. And so he decided, you know what, I don't want to do this. I'm, I, my dad's rich. He's got a lot. If I just get like part of his estate, man, that's going to be enough for me to live. It's going to be seed money for me to build my own thing. And sure enough, he found himself bankrupt. But what happens is this, is that when we we don't fulfill our responsibility. He could, have, he could have had a cushy job with his dad, but instead he was now forced to feed pigs. We need to take responsibility, and if we don't, we're going to be forced into it one day. If, you know this. If you don't pay your bills, you can say, I don't want to pay this bill. Oh, this mortgage payment, rip, 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 rip. In the garbage. They're going to be coming for you. You know this. They're, and it's going to be worse. It's not like I don't want to pay this. You know. You already know. It's, I'm going to have to pay more. And I'm going to be forced to. Oh I'm not going to abide by the law. I'm going to drive. I'm going to drive 75 in this 25. I don't care what this sign says. Listen you better take responsibility. Or eventually you're going to be forced to. Somebody's going to force you. And I tell you, isn't that always worse? Isn't that always worse? Listen, don't learn it the hard way like this young son did. Verse 17, but when he came to his senses, I love that. When he came to his senses, when he came and realized this is, this is insanity, what am I doing? I had everything that I wanted. Look at, he, look at what he says. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men, how many, how many of my father's you know, workers, servants, have more than enough? Do you see it? More than enough bread. But I'm dying with hunger. Like he came to the senses of realizing, with my father, I have more than enough. When I'm out of my father's will, it's misery and famine. You see it? In the Father's will is fulfillment. Outside of the Father's will is misery. It's empty. And you're going to find yourself hungry when all you need to know that in your Father's home and in your Father's relationship, you're more, you have more than enough. Now, look what he says next, verse 18. I will get up and go to my father 
and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. So he's now, he's now come to his senses. He's now realized what he's doing. He's now wanting to make it right. He's now wanting to fix the damage, which, uh, 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 what's already been done. And he's now, what is he doing? He's now taking responsibility for himself. He's now deciding, I will get up and I'm going to go. I will get up and I'm going to go. In order for us to come to our senses and to start making changes in our life, we need to take responsibility for our life. And, and it's going to require us to, sometimes we got to get up and we got to go. We're not just going to sit. It, nothing would have changed for him if he would have just sat there and just wallowed in his own self-pity and hoped that his dad came to find him as he's starving to death and wishing that somebody would give him pig food. Nope, he said, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my father and here's my speech. Father, I have sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. And I'm no, no, and he, look what he says in verse 19. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as your hired men or as your, one of your servants. Now I want you to see something that is so important. I want you to see something. Look what he says now. He's now, he's now maturing. He's now maturing. Make me. Make me as one of your hired men. Make me as one of your hired men. Look what he said in verse 12, if we go back to verse 12. Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. You see, you see the growth that's going to happen, that's happening right now in his life? At first he was like, give me, give me, give me. Father, you, you owe me. Father, you do this for me. God, this is for, about me. You give me what I want, what I need right now in this moment. And now, now he's coming to a place where he's realizing, no, 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 no. Can you go back to verse 20? Father, Father, make, verse 19, good job. Make me, make me. You know what the Father's heart is? Here's the Father's heart. The Father's heart is mature from give me, Father, to make me like the Father. You see that? There's a maturity that needs to happen in all of us. I, I, I like biking, and I'm glad that these two are not my bikes. <laughs> I like biking. Now, I, if I'm going to bike, I can't bike on this thing. Can you already tell? Can you already, can you already realize i got to back up so that people at home can see me? I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I can't bike on this thing. It's too small, right? I'm, I'm too big. I'm too mature for this bike, right? You know what this bike is? This is like us. This is a give me, give me, give me, father, bike size. This is a, for a little kid. This is for a, a baby just learning. I was out biking on a trail, and there was this little girl on a trail, and she had her helmet on, and she had her pads on, and she was on a bike about this size. And some guy blew by me, and that guy blew by her, and he was like in like his helmet, and it was all of his spandex wearing, bikey looking stuff. <laughs> and she just, she just is like, she just, this guy rode, this guy rode by her, and she was just like, <gasps> and by the time I rode by, I heard her dad, her, her dad tell her, when you grow up, you can be like that. You know where we get stuck sometimes? We get stuck here. Give, give me. God, give me a, a better report. God, give me, 
more financial gain. God, give me a better health, health phone call. God, give me, you know, a more blessing. Give me, give me, give me. It's all about me. It's all about me. This is, this is a faulty maturity place. God, give me, give me, give me. Instead, instead, Spike needs some, needs some, needs some grease. This is a make me. This is a make me. This fits better. This is make me more like you, God. God, whatever you want to do, however you want to work, God, however you want to navigate in my life, no matter what happens, no matter what I get or don't get, it's not about me, it's about you. That, you know what that, that is? That, that's a make me more like you. There's a maturity that takes place, and that's the heart of the Father. That's the heart of the Father. Too many of us are like, give me, you know, give me my, my song. I, I don't, I'm not coming back to church until you play my favorite song. I'm not, I'm not coming back to church until you get, you get better at preaching sermons, pastor. What are you going to give me? When I get back to church, I better, I better know that my seat my seat is available, and nobody else better be sitting in my seat. It is amazing to me how you guys all remembered where your season ticket seats are. <laughs> you guys sit in the same seats. I love it. I think it's great. I think it's great. But listen, this is the, this is the mentality that we, we got to grow from, that we need to mature from. Instead, it's not, it's not about, you know, what songs we sing. It's not about what, you know, what the message is about. It's, it's about becoming. It's about becoming more like the Father. Father, make me. Make me like you. There's a maturity that has to happen. And that's the heart of God. This is what the heart of the Father was for, for the Son. He wanted, him to, he wanted him to mature. He wanted him to grow up. He wanted him to get past the give me. Give me and move into make me. Make me more like you. Make me more like you, Father. So that requires responsibility. That requires us to take action. That, requ that doesn't just happen overnight. That doesn't just happen, you know, by you desiring it to happen. So what does he, what does he do in verse 20? What does he do? So he got up, got up and came to his father. If you want to go from give me, and you need to, go from give me to make me, it's going to require you to do. It's going to require you to get involved. It's going to require you to take action. It's going to require you to, you know, be engaged in, in, in the word of God, be engaged in the community of God. It's going to require you to do something. It doesn't just happen. It requires you to take action. And so the young son got up and he came to his father. And it says, now here's what St. Augustine said, and I think this is important for us to know. St. Augustine said it this way, work like it all depends on you and pray like it all depends on God. I think that's good advice. I think when it comes to go from give, give me to make me, I think it's understanding I gotta work, I gotta get up and go, like it, like, like it depends on me, but I'm going to pray like it all depends on God. And you're going to go from give me to make me more like you. Because then, then, 
it becomes about the Father and not about you. It says in verse 20, so he got up, came to his father, but while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him. Now, if you're listening to this story, you're thinking, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next is, this boy is going to get a beating of his life. You're not going to embarrass me, boy. You're not going to bring shame to this family. And you're thinking, this is what's going to happen next. If you didn't know the story already, but you're listening to Jesus tell the story, you're thinking, boy, that father is going to just give him the beating of his life. This is going to be bad for this son. But that's not what Jesus says next. And that's, this is so important to the heart. This is the, this is the game changer, the game changer in Jesus' story about who God is and the way that we need to see God. Because it says, when the father saw him, he felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the crowd that's listening to Jesus that day is going, are you joking? No father would ever, ever, ever run to a son that embarrassed him. And brought shame to his family. No father would do that. And Jesus is saying, you don't know the way our heavenly father is. Because when your heavenly father sees that you are wayward. And you are a prodigal. And you are living extravagant. And you are pursuing distant country and loose living stuff. Your heavenly father will run to you because he has compassion on you and he will embrace you and he will kiss you. This was a game changer and I hope it's a game changer for you. And he started his speech. He started his speech that he was practicing. He says in verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he can even finish the speech, the father says, start quickly. Verse 22, he says, But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Verse 23, And bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. This is the heart of our God. He says, verse 24, For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. You know what the heart of the father is? Here's the heart of the father. Get the lost found and the dead to life. That's the heart of the father. You know the way that God sees us? God sees us in this way. One of two ways. He either sees us lost or found. One of two ways. He either sees us dead spiritually or brought back to life again spiritually. You know what we need to see? You know what we need to see? We need to see people in that way. If you're lost, they need to be found. If they're found, we need to celebrate. If they're dead, they need to be brought back to life again through, through Jesus. And if they're, uh, they are brought back to life again, we need to celebrate that. That needs to be the heart of the Father. And as Jesus sort of takes a weird turn talking about the older son. You know what the other son wasn't too pumped about? He wasn't too pumped about his younger brother back again. You know the story. He wasn't excited that his brother was back. As a matter of fact, this, Jesus tells the story that he was angry about it. 
And look what the older brother says. He says, but he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. You know, what he, you know what the older brother's problem was too? The same as the younger brother. You know what it was? His motive was to receive, not to show the love to his father. His, the older brother had the same issues. Even though he never left the house, he had the same issues. It was all about him and not about showing love to the father. And then he says this in verse 32, the older brother and we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and he was lost and has begun to be found. He didn't share his father's heart. And the heart of the father is to get people that are lost found, to get people that are dead to life again. And that is only through Jesus. It's only through Jesus. Church, Church, that needs to be us. If that's the heart of God, that needs to be our heart. If the heart of God is about God and the glory of God, that's what we need to be about. That needs to be our heartbeat. If the heart of God is staying in the will of God because that's where life is, that's where we need to stay. We need to stay in the will of God. If the heart of God is about, is about um, you know, maturing going from give me to make me, that needs to be what our heart is about. And if the heart of God is about bringing those that are lost back to life again or found again, dead back to life again, that needs to be our heart. You know what the church is too much alike? The church is too much alike, hey, we've got our 99, we're good with our 99. You know what the church is too much alike? Hey, I've got my nine coins, I'm good with my nine coins, I don't need that tenth coin. You know what the church is too much alike? We're too much alike the older brother. I've been in here all the time. And that's not the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is to bring people into relationship with Him. By the way, this is who is listening to the story. This is who is listening to the story. Look at it says, very, very, very beginning, Luke 15, 1. Very beginning was before Jesus told these three stories of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. He says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Shouldn't that be what the church is about? Shouldn't that be what the church is about? People that are far from God wanting to be near God, wanting to come and listen, wanting to be around Jesus. People that were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. That should be the church. That should be the church. Because that's the heart of the Father. And that should be our heartbeat. What breaks God's heart should break ours too. It says in verse 2, both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. Don't be a grumbler. Saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That ought to be what we are about. You know who the younger son is? The younger son were the tax collectors and the sinner. You know who the older son was? The Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus was telling the story, hey, this is not about you. This is about the Father. But the Father is welcoming all of you. 
because the way that he sees you is not as a tax collector, not as a sinner, not as a Pharisee, not as a scribe, not as a woman, not as a male, not as any kind of race, not as any kind of social status, not with any kind of ethnicity, none of that. That's not the way that God sees you. God sees you as either lost or found, dead or alive. That's his heart. And that ought to be ours too as a church. Father, we're so grateful that we can come to you and call you Father, our perfect heavenly Father who has shown compassion on us, who ran to us when we were wayward, when we were lost, when we were dead, and you found us and you brought us back home and you brought us back to life again. And God, I pray, Lord, that because that's your heart, that ought to, that's our heart. Because you showed compassion on us, that we show compassion on others. Because you cared for us, that we should care for others. That ought to be our heart and our heartbeat. Especially if we're Christians, especially if we're followers of you. Lord, I just pray, Lord, as we navigate through these things the next few weeks. God, I just pray you break our hearts where they need to be broken, restored in a way that only you can restore so that we can have and understand and know what it means to be in relationship as a son and a daughter with a perfect father who loves us unconditionally no matter what. Thank you for your kindness and grace. Thank you for each one here. Thank you for those that are watching at home online. Encourage them, bless them, be with them, each and all. I pray this in Jesus' name.